Good morning. Good morning. Um, it is awesome to, to be here, opportunity to share this morning. Uh, what actually, when Oshida was asking about which which show to to binge watch, I at first I thought Stranger Things, which is awesome. But then uh, remember we, we started watching Lost, but we didn't watch it until like 2013. I think it came out <laughs> years back, and it was when Penny was born. So we uh, we'd wake up in the middle of the night and you know be nursing her and flip on Lost, and somehow that got us through the first the first year of uh, baby number one. And we recently had baby number two. So that's, uh, yeah, something to celebrate, and they couldn't make it here this morning. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, well, speaking of shows and TVs, how many of you have seen the movie Inside Out? Inside Out, the, yeah, the Pixar film, uh, where this girl, she's probably around 12 years old, Riley, and her mom and dad are moving from Minnesota to California. And uh, she's going through all these different emotions and processing the move. And her emotions are, are personified as these characters. Uh, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness, right? And throughout her move, she's saying bye to old friends, going to a new school, saying, may try to make new friends. Um, and she's going through times of confusion and depression and just struggling to really make California feel like home. Um, and, and so throughout the, the, the show, joy and sadness, these two characters, they come to the forefront of the movie. And in the move where she's already feeling down, we all think that joy is going to be the one to come in and kind of save Riley. But actually, uh, you know, there's these little memory balls that Joy's like hoarding to herself because if, if, if sadness touches them, then they turn blue. And we all think that you know Riley doesn't need any more sadness in her in her mind and her emotions, um, and so basically what what ends up happening is that uh, Riley gets on a bus in her moment of desperation, heading back to Minnesota, and it ends up that sadness is the one who starts pushing Riley's buttons in her head, and that becomes the very thing that Riley actually needs to process the, the move to really grieve the loss of her friends. And so this, this little film, um, this little film, I thought just illustrates really well how sometimes there are these expected characters who we think like Joy, who's gonna come in and save Riley, but then in this very unanticipated way, sadness comes in and actually kind of saves the day for Riley. But we're gonna kind of see a similar parallel with that dynamic with the Book of Acts today. We're gonna be looking at Acts 6, uh, 7, and 8 where there's a set of characters in the early church who we think are going to be the ones, who we expect are to be the ones to carry the narrative of Acts along, but then somehow we see God using this other set of characters who kind of are coming from the, the shadows, from the background a little bit. So that's where we're going to go today. Uh, we're going to continue the feel of the past few weeks. Kind of, I'll be asking people to, to read scripture throughout different points of the sermon today. Uh, but before we dive in, let's just do a brief recap of last last Sunday. This is just setting us up for Acts 6 uh, this morning, what we're going to read. Last week, we talked about there were these two groups uh, in the early church in Jerusalem, these Hellenists and the Hebrews. They're all Jew Jewish Jesus followers. And the Hellenists, they basically were the Greek-speaking uh, followers. And they brought a complaint to the Hebrews, who were the Aramaic-speaking the, the Hebrews, they were from uh, Palestine and, and Jerusalem, whereas the Hellenists, they were from the farther diaspora. 
And so the Hellenists brought a complaint to the, to the, uh, to the Hebrews and said, hey, our widows, our Hellenist widows, are kind of being neglected when it comes to daily food distribution. Um, so now, I love what, what Justo Gonzalez writes about this, about this dynamic between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Uh, he writes, it is clear that the problem of pluralism in the church is not the work of the Hellenists, but of the Holy Spirit of God. See, the church is a community of people representing different cultures, traditions, and customs, not because some Johnny-come-latelys have joined it, but because inclusivity is the work and the purpose of God. Inclusivity is the work and the purpose of God. And back in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was already calling uh, people of different languages to come together to, to be a single Jesus community. And here in Acts 6, we're just seeing the t- how that, the, the realities and the challenges of that, what that looks like between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Um, so in response to the complaint, uh, the 12 Hebraic Jews, Hebraic apostles, they decide for the community to elect seven leaders to then oversee the food distribution. So that's where we're at today. Uh, we're going to be picking up right after the, the list of, of the seven. A uh, couple things to note. The first person on that list is Stephen. And he, he's like uniquely highlighted as someone who, is, is, uh, who stands out among the crowd, who is, who is endowed with divine power. So Stephen heads, spearheads the, the list of seven. And then number two on the list is Philip. And then the rest of the five names, are they're all Hellenist names. So the people who get to oversee food distribution are all Hellenists, while the Hebraic apostles devote themselves to prayer and preaching of God's word. So that's an interesting dynamic. We're going to keep that in our minds as we continue on the narrative. The Hellenists are to oversee food distribution. The Hebrews are to uh, devote their time to prayer and preaching of God's word. So let's pick up today then, uh, right after the list of the seven Hellenistic Jews. So who can read for us, uh, we're going to be Acts 6, chapter 8, sorry, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. So somebody read that out loud for us. 6, 8 through 15. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrus, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit of which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We've heard him blasphemy Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as a All right, so here you have Stephen, who is uh, uniquely endowed, stands out among the believers as someone uniquely endowed with the Holy Spirit. Um, he's delegated with Philip and the other five Hellenists for food distribution. Somehow this Stephen ends up arguing with these members of a local Jewish synagogue. And the members are so infuriated with what Stephen is saying that they bring Stephen before the Jerusalem council. Um, or some, some translations might just say the council or the, the Sanhedrin. 
These all refer to the same, the same group of Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who were a religious and a political, a legal kind of group who oversaw the affairs of the Jewish community. Um, and this is the same council where in Acts 5, they had told Peter to stop teaching in the name of Jesus, to which then Peter said, we, would, we have to obey God versus humans. Uh, so that's that same council that Stephen is now in front of. So we'll, call, we'll go with the Sanhedrin to be consistent. So the Sanhedrin starts to interrogate Stephen uh, to see if these accusations, accusations against him are true. This is reminiscent of a Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin in the Gospels um, receiving these accusations as well. And pretty much all of Acts chapter 7, we're not going to read the whole thing because it's really, really long, but it's, it's Stephen's response to the Sanhedrin. And Stephen basically lays out this 52-verse um, case yeah, of why the Jews are pretty much have kind of turned their backs against God. So Stephen takes them through Israel's patriarchs, gives them a whole crash course of the Old Testament, basically. From the call of Abraham to Isaac and Jacob, Joseph in, in, in Egypt, and then how Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and then delivered by Moses, and then they're wandering in the desert, and then they go into the land and, they, and under Joshua's leadership. So Stephen has taken them through this whole big sweep of Israel's past, all of it leading to this indictment against the Sanhedrin and against Israel's unbelief. Well, we're going to pick that up in verse 51. That's the end of Stephen's speech. So this is Stephen talking to the Sanhedrin uh, or the Jerusalem Council. So who, who would like to read Acts 7, 51 through 60? Go ahead, over Yeah, or some translations just say he died. They just say it flat out. He's, he's dead at this point. He got stoned to death. Uh, but throughout this whole experience for Stephen, the Holy Spirit is so present with Stephen. It enables Stephen to preach boldly. It, it, is, it enables Stephen, he enables Stephen to endure the death. Um, God's Spirit is, is so uh, filling within uh, Stephen's uh, person and his mind um, that Stephen can say all of this to the Sanhedrin, um, and he can withstand what the Sanhedrin then uh, fires back at him. So Stephen says, you continuously set yourself against the Holy Spirit, just like your ancestors did. As the Sanhedrin hears these, these words from a, from a Greek Jew of all, this is a group of like Jerusalem Jews 
hearing this Greek Jew from somewhere far away coming in, telling them who their patriarchs are, telling them how they are basically uh, have fallen to unbelief and disobedience. And so they were enraged and they began to grind their teeth at Stephen. And then scripture says, but then Stephen, enabled by the Holy Spirit, stared into heaven and saw God's majesty and Jesus standing at God's right side. This is right when the Sanhedrin is like raging towards Stephen. Stephen receives this vision. When I, when I read this part, I, every time I read this part, I, I can't help but, but, but feel as though this, this is God's divine comfort over Stephen in the moment where he's about to die, knowing that God is going to use Stephen's death for God's purposes. And so the Holy Spirit is with Stephen through the speech, with Stephen at his point of death, and is continuing to work even after uh, Stephen dies. And at Stephen's death, he cries out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Again, paralleling Jesus' words at the cross, uh, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for, for they don't know what they're doing. So we kind of see this Jesus-Stephen parallel at a couple different points throughout this narrative. Now, I think this is deeply uh, not only challenging, but also kind of troubling for me when I, when I think about how the Holy Spirit is, is at work here. Um, that the Holy Spirit would take Stephen through this process is really, it should be challenging for us. Because when we ask God, how many of us, when we ask the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, to, to shape us, to shape our communities, and we're seeking the Holy Spirit, how many of us envision the Holy Spirit taking us through an experience like Stephen's? <laughs> not, not many. I know I don't. Right? And this is where uh, Willie Jennings makes this observation then in the book of Acts, where it says, almost no one is doing what they want to do. The Spirit of God is pressing every disciple to do precisely what God wants done and not what they might envision. So we see the Holy Spirit clearly driving this thing. All right, let's move along to Acts chapter 8. Uh, someone please read uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 for us. Nice and loud, please. Okay. Right. In Saul, of killing On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged out both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs of the forum, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. No, that's perfect. Thank you. So, so far we're seeing Holy Spirit empowerment of Stephen, bold speech before the Sanhedrin, death, and then the church gets persecuted at a mass level because of Stephen's death. Up until this point, only, only the apostles have been persecuted. It hasn't been a church-wide thing. Um, so the part that Barry just read for us um, was that it was Stephen's death 
that started the persecution of the whole church, which then caused the church to, pers- to, to leave Jer- uh, Jerusalem. Now, if you recall Jesus' instructions to his disciples back in Acts 1.8, um, he had said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth, kind of these concentric circles or these regions. Right? And, and, but we need to remember that when Jesus gave that instructions to his disciples, they, they were Galilean disciples. They weren't the Hellenists. These were Peter and the Twelve, the Aramaic-speaking disciples from Palestine, from, uh, not from Jerusalem because they're from Galilee, which is a little bit away, but from Palestine, the Aramaic-speaking ones. But it's not the Aramaic-speaking ones that go. It's Philip. Philip, in verse 5, goes to Samaria and begins to preach Christ there. Um, you know, even the angels saw that it was the Galilean. Uh, even the angels acknowledged it was the Galilean one, uh, the disciples. At Acts one eleven, the angel appears to them and says, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? Right? So Luke is making it, the author of Luke Acts is making it very clear um, that the Galileans received the instruction, but yet they're not, they're not heeding the instruction. Um, See, we would have anticipated that it would have been the 12. Just like in the movie Inside Out, right? We, we kind of anticipated it would have been Joy who was going to come in and really fix Riley's crisis for her. Um, but it wasn't. It was, it was sadness in the same way. It wasn't the 12 who moved things along. It was Stephen's death, a, a Hellenist Jew. And then it was Philip, another Hellenist Jew, who actually go to Samaria and start preaching Christ there for the first time. And so I, I, Luke is trying to make this so clear to us that even in uh, verses 8, eight one, chapter 8, verse 1, um, it, it re- reads that at that time, the church in Jerusalem began to be subjected to vicious harassment or persecution, and everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. He didn't have to say that. But he was really highlighting, like, everyone is literally fleeing outside Jerusalem. But the apostles who had... What's that? Is that holy shade? Holy shade, perhaps. (laughs) Uh, But the apostles who had, you know, saw it fit that we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and preaching of the word uh, while the the Hellenist Jews, you know, oversee... The, the food distribution and, and waiting on tables, guess what ended up happening, right? It was the Hellenist Jews who ended up preaching the word, who ended up carrying the message beyond Jerusalem. But, you know, in light of this, the church, we're here today, so they didn't fail, right? They didn't fail. They didn't, it's not just like mission over, uh, you know, because it's God's mission, right? It's God's mission. It's not the twelves. God's mission. Right? This mission belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the 12 apostles. Uh, the mission originates from God. Right? The, mi- the mission precedes the 12. Right? Um, way back in Genesis, God was already calling Abraham to, to be blessed so he can be a blessing. So God's mission has always been to redeem and bless people so that they can go on redeeming and blessing other people through Jesus Christ. So that God's mission precedes the 12 here in the New Testament. Right, so, so clearly we see God's mission is um, 
far beyond any group of church leaders, right? It, it involves human agency, it, it involves human participation, but it doesn't depend on a specific group of sect or a specific uh, human agency. God has a mission, not the twelve, right? Uh, and if the twelve are a bit slow to step in the direction of God's mission, then God is just going to use other people and other means to bring to reality his mission and his purpose for humanity and for creation. God's just going to use other people. So this is not my mission. This is not your mission. It's not Roots' mission. It's not even the church's mission. It's God's mission. And he invites the church to partake with him. Well, we're closing in at the end of chapter 8 where Philip's uh, narrative comes to an end. And Philip, the Hellenist Jew, so being led by the Holy Spirit, Philip found himself. Uh, he, he, Holy Spirit is moving so powerfully, Philip is just like waking up to consciousness like in a new city. That's what it seems like. He found himself in Azotus, and he traveled through that area preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. That was Acts 8.40. And Caesarea is located on the, the coast of the Mediterranean. So if Jerusalem's kind of down here, then Caesarea is about 60 miles northwest, right on the coast. Uh, and Samaria would be like right here in the middle. So we see that Philip literally begins to fulfill Acts 1.8, preaching Philip is traveling from Jerusalem to Judea, then he goes beyond Samaria, and he preaches, he ends up in Caesarea, right? Again, this, this Hellenistic disciple, led by the Holy Spirit, becomes the first witness to move in the direction of Acts 1.8, moving the narrative along uh, where the apostle Paul uh, and the missionary Paul, he's going to continue to move that along and throughout the rest of the book of Acts, where Paul will then... Uh, preach in the broader areas of the Mediterranean and Asia Minor. And that's where we see the Acts 1-8 really beginning to, to come into reality here um, in, this, in this narrative. Um, and so, again, it wasn't the, the characters who we all expected. It was, it was um, these kind of more marginal, from the outskirts of Jerusalem uh, characters who came in. God really used them. Um, and I just, that's reflective of, of who we are today as a church. Um, that's reflective of who, who the church is called to be. Um, and, and so I invite us to really uh, reflect on what this, this text kind of speaks to us today in terms of uh, we're not always the key players. We, we don't have to be the one who, um, yeah, has, has the pedigree and, and the, the, the abilities to do it all, but the Lord can come in and use any one of us to, to move his mission and his purpose along. So... Let's close and let's, let's pray together. Almighty God, God, thank you that you have a mission and a heart for, for us, Lord, for your creation. God, that you haven't abandoned creation to suffering and destruction, but Lord, in the suffering, you are entering with us, uh, pursuing renewal with us, and you are restoring us, God. And this is your mission. This mission doesn't belong to any human parties or 
or even the leaders of the church, God, it's your mission. And as a church, we're just invited to come alongside your mission, Lord. We are your vehicle. So, Lord, we, our prayer today is that we would uh, see ourselves as such, uh, that as uh, Stephen was enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would take the same posture, um, that we simply come alongside, led by your Holy Spirit, uh, to do and to go in the places that we don't always want to go, um, that are uh, at times yeah, straight up scary. Um, but Lord, your heart for humanity is relentless and you're not going to stop just because we want to stop. And so Lord, uh, we just acknowledge that you are the God who has a mission, um, not us. And we just uh, submit ourselves to your mission as a church, the reason why we gather here, Lord, we just submit it to your purposes for this city, for this community. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.